Welcome to a special Weekly Standard podcast. My name is Philip Terzian. I'm the literary editor of the Weekly Standard. And this week is the anniversary of the execution of Julius and Ethel Rosenberg in 1953, one of the great events of the early Cold War and an event that still resonates down to our day. And I have invited to the Weekly Standard uh, the expert on the subject, Ronald Radosh, co-author of The Rosenberg File and distinguished Cold War historian, who I'm pleased to say um, for the Weekly Standard just reviewed a new book on the case, the latest of many, entitled Executing the Rosenbergs, Death and Diplomacy in a Cold War World by Laurie Clune. So let me welcome Ron Radosh. And let me ask you quickly, um, who were Julius and Ethel Rosenberg? Julius and Ethel Rosenberg were working-class New York Jews from a, an immigrant family. Uh, I think they were the second generation. Their parents were already here. And they were communists uh, in the communist movement, which was really prevailed among a lot of Jews. And they lived in a development, a private development, very simple, called, it's still there, called Knickerbocker Village. And... In City College, he was an engineering student, and he put together a small club of friends who were all in engineering or chemistry or the sciences, uh, the famous alcove system. Uh, Irving Howe and company were in alcove A, which were the Trotskyists and the anti-communists. Alcove B were the communists, and none of the communists were in the liberal arts. They were all in things they hoped they could get a job from. Uh, so Julius Rosenberg put together a group of friends in the college Young Communist League. And after graduation, he uh, was offered by the Soviets or asked by the Soviets if he could go to work, essentially for the NKVD, KGB, and put together a group who, based on the jobs they get, would steal both industrial and military secrets that the Soviet Union wanted, which he proceeded to do. In fact, uh, he did so, or he began, not after the Nazi-Soviet pact, which enables their sons, the Mirapoles, to claim they were motivated by anti-fascism, but he actually asked people during the Nazi-Soviet pact if they had any information he could get from them to give to the Soviets. So it was not anti-fascism that motivated him. It was his belief in Stalin and communism as the future of the world, as well as Russia. Then he was connected um, peripherally to the Manhattan Project. Well, it was actually not peripheral. He, he got a lot of industrial, a lot of technical secrets, and a lot of important – in fact, we – Steve Austin and I had a piece um, a year or two ago in The Standard about the valuable top-secret military technology – that he was able to steal from his network for the Soviets. That was extremely important for them. But by luck of circumstance, his brother-in-law, his wife Ethel's brother, David Greenglass, was assigned to the Manhattan Project as a technical engineer. And he worked in the division that put together the lens mold that would be used to detonate the bomb. So he was in a position to steal whatever he could to give to Julius, which is what he proceeded to do. They also found and recruited another atomic scientist who worked out of the Oak Ridge, Tennessee plant, 
who also gave information to Julius. So whatever he could get, which turned out to include atomic-related material. Now, it was an article of faith among right-thinking people, including, I have to say, my parents, for many decades, that the Rosenbergs uh, were not Soviet spies. They were just um, uh, liberals in a hurry, as we used to say. Political dissenters were arrested for their opposition to Truman's fascism and war policy exactly and another thing is it's it's awfully it's often sort of loosely connected with the McCarthy era but in fact it was the Truman administration right. that prosecuted right. and it was Bruce. not as I concluded this review of this book uh, this silly author ends by saying it was a Cold War prosecution because of the climate of the times and their dissent well it was that it was a prosecution because they were actually stealing military secrets of great value to the Soviets, betraying their country, and damaging American national security. This was not uh, an investigation of dissenting ideas held by unpopular communists. This was a serious espionage operation that the FBI uncovered and correctly arrested, and the Justice Department went ahead, based on the information they had, to prosecute. And, of course, we now know this with certainty because after the collapse of the Soviet Union, right. uh, the uh, relevant archival documents yeah. came fact, to light. The, ver- the very first release of the Venona files in 1995 when Daniel Patrick Moynihan released them, he was still alive and senator, was the file from Venona, the Soviet decrypts from the KGB central to their New York offices. Uh, the main release in 1995 was that pertaining to the Rosenberg case and their work. And later, when Alexandria, Alexander Vasiliev, who worked for the KGB, defected to Britain, he eventually sm- had smuggled out all the copious copied notes he took from KGB files that he was supposed to write a history of for them. Uh, and these files were more detailed and gave more information on the Rosenbergs that verified what we already had from Venona. So at this point, I guess the question is, um, what is there to say about the Rosenbergs? And I suppose the two things are a question which has vexed many people, including those who who fully believe in their guilt, is A, whether they should have been executed or not, and uh, B, um, what should be the official position of the U.S. government? There's some talk of President Obama perhaps making well, some sort of... their sons, Michael and Robert Mirapol, using the name of their adopted parents, uh, they have now acknowledged, not fully, that their father was somehow involved in Soviet espionage, but they pertain, continue to say, well, he didn't really give them anything important. It was just technical information the Russians should have had anyway as a relies, which is all untrue. They don't acknowledge what his father really did, which was give top secret information of a military character and an atomic character. But they know, they acknowledge that he's, he was a part of a KGB network. So they can't ask for him to be exonerated. But they argue now that Ethel Rosenberg, their mother, was not involved in anything. She was completely innocent. She was framed up only because the Justice Department wanted to use her as a lever to break Julius so he would talk. Well, we know from the evidence, the same evidence we just mentioned, that Ethel was part of a conspiracy, and it was a conspiracy indictment. She met with some KGB agents. She re- she gave suggestions for whom Julius should recruit, gave the suggestions to the KGB handler, 
and uh, she was totally aware and involved in everything he was engaging in. He, she was not an innocent party. Now, she did not go out and put the ring together like her husband did, but she was, nevertheless, guilty. So, uh, they claim that she is innocent, and therefore they've petitioned President Obama to not pardon her. They said they would not accept a pardon because a pardon implies guilt, but exonerate her and posthumously say she was innocent and she should never have been indicted, tried, and executed. Now, the Obama administration has not said anything about whether they even received this at all. Right. So one has no idea... Well, there is what, if anything, of, he would do. There is a kind of religious faith, though, in the Rosenbergs, because didn't the New York City Council essentially oh, do that? Oh, yeah. So. Now, that's interesting. You see, the New York City Council is far, far left. The Working People's Party, which is the far left political party, essentially got to control the political mechanism in New York. De Blasio, Mayor de Blasio, was a graduate of that. The head of the city council is a self-proclaimed Maoist who makes de Blasio seem like a moderate liberal. <laughs> uh, and she and her comrades, if I call them comrades, more accurately, that's what they are, issued a proclamation a year ago, proclaiming Ethel's innocent, declared the particular day Ethel Rosenberg Day, and the Mirapoles came to City Hall, and they held up the big sign of the city council proclamation exonerating Ethel, uh, which nobody paid attention to except my attack in the Wall Street Journal and someone else's in the New York Post. Otherwise, I don't think it was even written up anywhere. It was written up in some of the Massachusetts papers who are always loyal to the Mirapoles since they live in that area. Well, and of course, we do have this uh, this book from the Oxford University Press, which which mm -hmm. the main point of which I gather is she's the author seems to have discovered that it was a worldwide yes. uh, phenomenon, which much debated in Europe, in five which, minutes. which which everyone has known for the last right. sixty right. years. Or she so. just put the unnecessary detail to prove what everybody already knew, right. and then mixes it up with uh, contradicting herself page after page. P poor history, but that's what you expect these days from young academics. Sad but true. Yes. Well, thank you very much. Uh, Ronald Radosh, uh, distinguished Cold War historian and author of the Rosen co-author of the Rosenberg File on this uh, 63rd anniversary, I guess, I so. of the Rosenberg case and execution. Thank you very much. Thank you.